Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. All right, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. Glad you're here today. Uh, we have Sammy Aaron, and uh, Sammy is a eco-activist. Is that a good way to sure, say that? Sure, that sounds good, um, yeah. She, she has a, a work that she calls the Resilient Activist, which works with um, eco-activists and the psychology of that, and as well as so many things that we're going to jump into. Her love for nature, her love for meditation and for yoga, all all are things that I love too. And and things that I'm really just, I, I think I'm just like a, a beginner, a novice who's learning. So it's fun to have you here. Thank you, Sammy, for Thanks joining for us. Thanks for having me, Fred. That's going to be fun. Excellent. Let's let's just, um, for, for people who are listening, let's just give just a little bit of your backstory, like where you're born, where you grew up, um, you know, you know, and then then we're going to dive into your your current work. Just give us enough of a background to sure. give a sense of who you are. Okay, stuff I haven't thought about in a while. <laughs> I was born in Racine, Wisconsin. We moved every single year of my life until like after I graduated high school. So went to different schools, lived in Kansas City, different areas, lived in the Washington D.C. area. Uh, ended up graduating high school in Chicago area, <laughs> and. Um, Went to college for a little bit in central Illinois, came back to Kansas City and met my husband and we were married 50 years ago. Wow, congratulations. Uh, just had our anniversary. And um, so we've lived here. Did you meet like all in college time. or something? Oh or? no, his his side of the family is related to my side of the family. And okay. it was one of those where, okay. you know, it's way too, you don't, you don't have enough time to record that whole story, <laughs> but. Um, and uh, what else do you want to know? That's that background. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I'll tell you. So, so speaking of spirituality adventures, I'm like, what did I get from moving every single year? And part of what I got was this sense that nothing's permanent, right? I didn't re maintain. You know, they ask questions on when you're putting in passwords, like, what was your third grade teacher's name? <laughs> I don't have a clue. And I don't know the name of anybody I went to school with. You know, like, I really didn't. I didn't gather a community of people growing up. I didn't gather a homeland or a hometown. And so I think it gave me this just sense of just being who I am without attachment. It wasn't easy. You know, it wasn't mm. really what I would have wished for. Right. But it's been a really interesting um, takeaway, mm. I guess I would say. I was thinking of, um, I, think, I think in the Buddhist tradition, they, talk about impermanence mm -hmm. is it is the word yeah and not that's sure the word is it neek is it a nika or something i don't or what, i don't I, know sure. like the sanskrit i'm not really great mm -hmm. on the sanskrit stuff yeah but uh mm -hmm. but i know that 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 is a you know the dealing with you know change is like the only constant it's the only thing you can count on mm -hmm. you betcha yeah so yeah yeah well um 
Yeah, so let's kind of let's kind of then jump into what drew you into the things that you love, your passions that you you get up and live for every day. Let's, sure. let's take us take us into that space. So I didn't have any no, nobody in my when I was growing up, my family really had no connection to nature. There was nothing we ever did as a family, you know, out in nature. But I remember the within weeks after getting married i'm out buying house plants you know it was like the first thing i needed were plants to be around me and so plants gardening has always been kind of my thing um i was a software developer for had my own company for 35 years just back when people were getting their first computer in like a big corporate office there'd be one shared computer on the floor you know, that kind of thing. Like a mainframe thing? or No, no well, the mainframe, yeah. So I started with that, but then uh, when people started getting the PCs, okay. you know, it's like Interstate Bakeries, for example, had one computer with the two floppy drives. Okay. And I was managing their budgets for all of their, you know, Dolly Madison and Hostess production facilities around the country on this one little two floppy drive computer but anyway (laughs) so it was an interesting really interesting you saved too much information you lost it oh you have to put in you you betcha oh my gosh yeah talk about learning experiences but it was something that really called to me kind of that analytical detail oriented piece was really I loved it. You know, it was one of those uh, people who so many people are really drawn to technology and what it can do to expand how this uh, computer works up Mm. here, you know. And um, so I had that. It also gave me a great because I had my own company. I was able to learn about a lot of different businesses and how they function and what they do needed um it was kind of my first foray into taking care of people you know i had i had one client one time who i'd written a program and she was trying to print it out and all she knew was to do 47 steps to get it into the word processor so she could print it and i said to her you know if you just click this one button, it would print. And she just started crying. And it was like, it was interesting. It was a really interesting perspective that um, that kind of has really helped me running a nonprofit, is really seeing people where they are with what they need. Um, I taught Lamaze childbirth classes, oh my gosh, back in the day, which is nothing different from yoga and meditation. It was breathing practices, deep guided body relaxation, um, uh, prep, you know, preparedness, you know, mm-hmm. knowing what's going to happen. So it was interesting how that kind of shifted when I started yoga. Um, I really became an environmental activist probably 30 or 40 years ago, just really caring about um, different species. I didn't really understand about plants, the relationship between plants and our water systems and plants and our clean air and plants and birds and and bees and butterflies until some time down in the Flint Hills and really understanding the relationship between native plants that can have root systems 15 feet deep so you're not watering every day right with our you know our plants that aren't didn't grow up around here that have root systems just a couple of inches deep so I really got 
a deeper understanding of that through time spent down in the Flint Hills in Kansas. Um, I don't know where else you want me to go with that. Well, <laughs> so you your early interest in nature and and environmental activism yeah. came from just a genuine love for plants. Mm -hmm. And then you, you started studying about some ecosystems. Right. This was all on your own, right? You were yeah, just, I was just interested. Just curiosity. Mm -hmm. You're studying ecosystems. You're mm -hmm. growing plants. You're you're learning that. And yeah. And so then what something, though, accelerated all of that. Yeah. Right? So that's a difficult story for those who are listening. So um, I kind of shared that caring about the planet, caring about Earth Day, caring about plastic straws, you know, all the environmental things over a lot of years with my older son. Uh, he was an environmental activist himself and was in school working on his master's degree in urban and regional planning. He was in a joint law program and we would just always joke with him that he was gonna be the only attorney in the world whose parents would always have to support him because he'd be working for some, <laughs> you know, financially strapped nonprofit right. who didn't have the, the funds to pay him a living wage. And um, almost 20 years ago, Fred, he just got to the point looking at the big global picture of climate change, all the interrelated um, social injustices that go along with it and how systemic all of that is and felt that there was nothing he was going to be able to do to make any difference. And we lost him to suicide in 2003. And that was really a huge catalyst because as much as I thought, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just, so he picked up that love for the, for the environment, just, just from, from your hobby interests. Is that, would that be true? Or? Some of that's true. Um, you know, I can remember, he was about four years old and I found him sitting on the back porch by himself with a grasshopper and he was really interested in this grasshopper and was pulling off one leg at a time <laughs> just to see if it could still hop, right? It sounds like a very boyish thing it to do. Doesn't right? it? And I remember that conversation about, well, how do you think that grasshopper feels right. with a great big old human you know, and so I think there were things that did come up in his awareness, but he, yeah, he really got that itching early mm. to really care for nature and understand his human, what's the word, superiority or, you know, mm -hmm. that we think humans are the be all and end all. Yeah. It's not really the reality. It's a, the supremacy know? of the, Supremacy, yeah. human supremacy. Yeah. Homo sapiens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so, gosh, what a. Uh, so he, due to his, his, he got so aware of mm -hmm. what's happening to our planet. Yeah. So. And that. The, the psychology of that and yeah he had he had left a suicide note a year prior and was in had seen a psychiatrist regularly seen a psychologist regularly uh was seeing a therapist he had developed a social um social phobia whereas before he he received a citation posthumously from the mayor of oakland california 
thanking him for the work he had done in that community. So he was a public speaker. And while he was in law school, he just kind of lost all that. And, um, and obviously, so the mental health community at the time had no clue about the emotional impact of climate change on those people, kind, caring, giving souls who wanted to make a difference. Mm. So there was whatever services they gave him, obviously, were not helpful. Mm. So immediately the day after his funeral, one of his close friends friends took me to yoga. I started a deep yoga practice. It was like some days the only thing I could make myself do. Uh, really got into pranayama yoga breathing practices, which is its own deep practice. Really good for grief. We carry grief in our hearts and our lungs, right in the chest. So that practice was really, really good. I started teaching both, started teaching workshops in, um, Heal Your Grieving Heart workshops and so on. Really spent a lot of time focusing on yoga, became a yoga meditation teacher. Um, and in the interim, spent a lot of time in nature. So the whole grieving period, there were days when there was nothing I could do but go out to nature. Mm. I didn't care if it was tick season. I didn't care if it was raining. You know, I didn't care how cold it was outside. Mm. Um, I had to spend time in nature. Mm. And there was this whole process of when I would do that and immerse myself, not for just 20 minutes, right, or not to go on a run or a hike, mm. but to be in that place, there was often this sense of I would find some place in nature that just called to me like I I would just go there like I was drawn to it and when I looked around to try and figure out where I was going to sit or what I was going to do there would be this sense of just absolute attraction like I'd be so attracted to this place and there was always this sense that I could be or say or do whatever I wanted I could talk to a tree, I could scream at a rock, right? I could I could throw sticks or stones and everything that came out of my heart was completely acceptable. Mm. It wasn't gonna hurt anything, right? There's nothing I could do to mother nature personally as an individual, I'm not talking about corporations or governments, right? I'm talking about individual human beings with nothing explosive in their hands to put down. You know, there's nothing I could do that the earth couldn't handle. And there was always this sense when I could really let it out that I could leave it there. Mm. I could leave that particular grief out in nature. And there was always more to come. It wasn't like, you know, oh, I'm good, right? right. This is good. So it was really helpful when these metaphors kept showing up in nature different aspects that kind of related to whatever it was i was pondering about that particular day mm -hmm. so so i'm so i'm just curious so mm -hmm. when you like you were this was when you were in kansas city and other place i mean i would go he was in california he was buried in california so i'd go spend weeks out there okay sometimes but yeah here like kind of anywhere city, yeah. where, like where would you go like um i'm just curious <laughs> like, yeah there's a there were some back roads in the not roads but trails at the botanical overland park botanical okay. gardens um there's jerry smith park which mm -hmm. is out 
kind of East Kansas City. Um, it didn't matter, you know, mm -hmm. uh, as long as there were, I was typically drawn to water and trees. Okay. And then there was the Flint Hills and there were days and times I would just travel down there by myself even mm -hmm. for the day and either hit the back roads. There's a, actually an area of the Tallgrass Prairie Preserve where we had donations after my son's death go to that spot. It's called the Bottomland Trail. And uh, there's benches and there's um, some other picnic tables and stuff that uh, the funds paid for mm -hmm. for that. And so, um, yeah, heading down to the Flint Hills was a really important part of my healing and different places down there but so good yeah well i just as i was sharing with you you know nature has been my a big part of my life especially you know when i want to get away you know backpacking mm -hmm. in the rockies i love but i and then i still mountain bike um, like I'm, I'm just healing up from a mountain bike crash. I had to have a rotator cuff surgery. <laughs> oh, not I was fun. mountain biking up on the Smithville mm -hmm. trails in January when it was icy and I mm -hmm. probably shouldn't have been there. But anyway, live and learn, but I, I'm or kinda, live and do it again, Fred, right. whatever works for you, yeah. you know, I'm going to try to eliminate ice, <laughs> but okay. You know, frozen dirt and, and snow when when snow can be fairly st sticky mm -hmm. you know but yeah but ice is not good yeah i'm gonna, I'm gonna eliminate ice but I, <laughs> but i when i can't ride in the winter i hike cool on the on the dirt trails yeah. and, and so a lot of my friends are in the earth riders and they take mm -hmm. care of a lot of the a lot of the the hiking trails dirt trails all yeah. around kansas city yeah you know and you can there's a little app that you can um put on your phone and you can find out if the trails are open and closed due to rain and other, you know, but so the trail systems, it's really cool for me. And then, you know, so that's why I like to ask, so where, where did you go? You know, there's a cool trail talking about that at Shawnee mission park off of Aug road. It's kind of between um, Midland and the park on Aug road. There's a, I forget what that area is called, but um, I went through the K-State Extension Master Naturalist training. Mm -hmm. So it's different than Master Gardeners. Master Gardeners focus on plants and foods for humans. Master Naturalists focus on ecosystems. So still with the native plant focus, but looking at it from more ecosystem perspective, mm -hmm. there's an area off of Aug Road where the trails were put in, I'm sure by the same group, um, through some amazing uh, like wooded glade and it's actually protected habitat for this elusive red-bellied snake oh that's my most embarrassing moment do you want to hear that sure so we i were, knew we about were doing this our bonus questions <laughs> those of you who uh, want to join us on our uh can our hear, support yeah. team and you can hear our bonus questions. So she's going to give us her most embarrassing moment. Now. So I knew that this area in Shawnee Mission Park was part of a red-bellied snake preservation area. And it's one of those areas where some corporation put in, was going to be destroying some habitat somewhere with some construction. And so they needed to, uh, kind of like reparations, you know, purchase or, or maintain another undisturbed site. And so this was a site, perfect habitat for the elusive red-bellied snake. So I don't even, so I'm pretty good at snakes, but I actually don't know, 
I'm not familiar with the red bellied snake. Because no one's ever seen one at Shawnee Mission Park. So okay. when I say elusive, okay, we don't even know <laughs> like, that they're there, but okay. the habitat is perfect for them. There we go. Okay, so, so now I'm not getting the picture. Yeah, okay. don't don't worry about that. So we're talking snipes. We're <laughs> talking. You betcha. Um, so <laughs> they live together. There yeah. we go. Um, so I'm I'm taking. There was this woman's group hiking group of women, just kind of a in the yoga community basically and we were i said i know this really cool place we'll go hike so we're on this hike and one of the women you know it's a single file right so you can hardly hear anybody talking and this one woman i'm telling about the red-bellied snake and she just screams and says there's a red-bellied snake here and we all see it it's this long kind of looked like a worm and should we get pictures of it? I'm so excited. And we come back and I post it on the uh, Master Naturalist Facebook group and say, you guys won't believe what we found. And of course, the actual naturalists who know what they're talking about are like, that is not the red belly snake. That was, I forget, it was some, some red something or other worm, you know, that's like pretty common. And that's so, hilarious. okay, that was my embarrassing moment because I was so knowledgeable. Oh, wow. And so cool. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. There you go. That ahead. one works. That one works. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Miss, I'm, I'm not so great. I'm, I'm good at snakes, but I'm not, you know, there's a lot of things I'm not good at identifying, but I, I used to catch snakes, you know, and have aquariums with snakes and that's cool. And, uh, yeah. and then one, one got out and I didn't tell my mom and then she was cleaning the house one day and she found a snake skin under the couch. Oh, how nice. And that, yeah. that ended my snake collection. Yeah, I'll just bet it. Did. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so I'm, man, there's so many things I want to talk about. Let's do this. I'm going to mention several of the things that you've been involved in. And why don't you give me a, like a, a quick description sure. of of those of that okay part of your life that you love okay and and then and then I might dive in 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 different ways but the the first that your your website the resilient activist um, it's really well I I like your website it's it's easy to navigate and it it gives a little history of what you just told us about your son and then. But I, th I think um, the eco psychology component, like you said, 20 years ago, people really didn't yeah. know much about that. Is that really tied into the, your, your, yeah, your there's actually stuff? Not exactly. So, okay. <laughs> so, well, because these terms are really interesting, there's eco psychology, there's eco therapy. And then there's climate anxiety and eco anxiety and a whole series of languages and mental health components related to people experiencing anxiety over climate change. Mm -hmm. So ecotherapy is where people, trying to get the two of them straight, eco-psychology is looking at the relationship between humans and the natural world and how that impacts us from a mental health perspective. So when we see communities, living communities of plants or animals, we are imbued with a bit of joy, like a bit of understanding of how to live in symbiosis. You know, when you, when you plant a plant and you see somebody flying in and sipping that nectar, 
it feels good, right? So there's this psychological relationship with the natural world. Ecotherapy is a uh, mental health tool that's been used for a lot of years, but uses nature to help people work through mental health conditions. So things like horticulture therapy, um, there's all kinds of aspects of bringing nature to help people um, through whatever they're experiencing emotionally. Okay. So now we get to climate change where people, more and more people are more aware of what's happening globally. Uh, they're aware of what's happening locally. And there are a number of organizations. There's a Climate Psychiatry Alliance, Climate Psychology Alliance, um, some other organizations that have come up to help people who are experiencing issues with what's happening with the climate. So there's a... There's kind of a subset of the psychological field of people who are considering not having children because they don't know what kind of world they're, bring, they're going to bring them into. So therapists who are specializing in how to help people make that decision. Um, the Resilient Activist is a little bit unique in that it was founded, so I, it was founded four years ago, so Kevin had been gone about 15 years. And... Um, it was founded to try and figure out what might have helped him and others like him because we know the world needs inspired visionary activists who have the resilience to see us through these really difficult times mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. the incidences of depression suicide are just skyrocketing burnout people quitting going to work at a coffee shop because they just can't handle it mm -hmm. anymore so our focus is on the activists. There's a lot of these other organizations are working with everybody else who's experiencing grief and trauma from uh, higher heat, severe weather events, wildfires. Like there's a whole lot of grief and trauma happening around the results of global warming, right? But our focus is for the activists, people working to try and make a difference, people that are heading up organizations, um, they've not up until recently mm. been identified as a community in need of services, right? Okay. So we've actually done some research studies to be able to call out the emotional impact of what's happening because it's not just climate change. It's governmental pushback. It's corporate pushback. It's uh, political pushback throughout everything that's been trying to um, many people for 40 or 50 years have been working on this saying, here's what's going to happen. Here's how those carbon levels are rising and other greenhouse gases. And here's the impact with mm. sea level rise, increased wildfires and drought and famine and excessive flooding. And, um, you know, and it's really difficult to have that be your day job and your passion and be told constantly you're just stupid and you're making it all up and it's fake news. And by the way, you're either fired, harassed, or around the world murdered because of that. So this is a really difficult position for people who are in that community mm. of activists. And so that's what we're all about, is how can we support that group? Interesting, yeah. yeah. One of my new friends is a guy named Brian McLaren, who's an author. He's been, in, I don't know, I don't even know how to, but he's a, he wrote, uh, he, he was a pastor, church planter like me, but then many years ago went to writing activism stuff. One of his books was Everything Must Change, and it was his 
really deep research on the global crisis that we're in, you know, the environmental global crisis. And uh, so he's networked uh, pretty extensively. Uh, you guys, I'm a networker, so I, you guys, yeah, connect it'd, be, us. it'd be a good connection. Mm -hmm. He would probably love to yeah. hear because he's, he's got a pretty big network in that space as well. That's fantastic. And he, he was kind of like came from a, a really conservative evangelical background mm -hmm. and, and now you know has kind of been a, a voice for um people who have deconstructed and mm -hmm. reconstructed and mm -hmm. you know are in these still a still a space of faith but um but kind of you know rethought Rethinking a whole it. lot of stuff including yeah including global well, let me, I'll just add on to that, that there are so many faith-based organizations that do get it, that are really focusing on earth care. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in Kansas City here, there's a Sustainable Sanctuary Coalition. I know there's uh, Lutherans for Earth Care. There's, I can't think there's a mm. whole bunch of, I know someone from the Baptist Theological Seminary who was really, she and I met at a drawdown um, program drawdown mm. is like drawing this international program to draw down levels of carbon. So it has really permeated a lot, a lot of faith-based yeah. communities. And um, you know, there is that just like there's that psychological connection through eco psychology. Mm -hmm. There is a spiritual connection to who created all this mm -hmm. and who this is pretty complicated right mm -hmm. who figured out that clean water required pollinators huh. like what's what do you mean that doesn't make any sense right like it's real it's just so interesting and so it's it's and it's heartwarming to see the the number of communities including faith-based organizations yeah. really stepping up that's cool yeah, yeah I, I remember i did a, a series on on uh, the earth uh, you know and came out of um like genesis and mm -hmm. it talk, there's two words to uh, where you're in the garden and you're and the lord god says to tend and watch the garden you know mm -hmm. and so it's like the stewardship yeah. of the earth it's real concept. different than holding dominion over it right it's very exactly. different so perspective you, yeah exactly yeah 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 and so i came out of that to, and and what's interesting is those words that 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 tend and watch are typically used for the priests in the temple or sanctuary. So, so it's actually seeing the garden as a, as a temple sanctuary yeah. that we are stewards of. And I love that in. image. Yeah, isn't yeah. that kind of cool? Yeah. 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 So anyway, okay. all right. Um, so, so the resilient activists, the, the, the next one I wanted to look at is climate reality leadership. Okay. What was that about? So that was a program that past Vice President Al Gore started when he lost the presidential election. And I'm just going to say, thank God he lost because <laughs> he wouldn't have had the wherewithal or the energy to do what he's been able to do in all these years since then. So he, it's a global program, Climate Reality Leaders. He offers training um, that's completely paid for. So I went to one... I think about five years ago, um, there were 2,000 people there or so. It was in Minneapolis in their big convention center. Three days of training, 
no cost. They included an amazing lunch every day, no cost. And all you had to do basically was pay your own transportation and, and lodging. Mm. And it was a global community giving an opportunity to really understand what's happening with severe weather events, sea level rise, droughts, and so on, industrial issues, technological issues, clear cutting, um, farming, factory farming around the world and really come away with some a, a really deep understanding globally of what's happening. And I at that time, they he trained over 20,000 people in that. Since then on Zoom, they had like over 5,000 people, you know, when they shifted to wow. doing it on Zoom. So that's what that is. And it's just this, it was, it took my level of environmental understanding like way higher mm. than it had been. Okay. Yeah, and they just encourage and support people who are uh, advocates in whatever area suits them mm. globally. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. What about Kansas Master Naturalist Program? You mentioned I mentioned that, that a, little, a bit. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So the Master Naturalist, even though it comes out of K State and it's pretty much ag-focused, agricultural-focused. Um, it's a great way to understand how everything interacts within ecosystems. And they do focus on Kansas, but to get that whole perspective on the cycle of life, you know, and why we need pollinators and why, you know, pollinators produce fruit, which is going to keep the, you know, the fruit, the pits and the seeds from the fruits, what's going to keep other trees, you know, from it's going to help them uh, reproduce and so trees give us i don't know oxygen right we kind of need that and then how the whole water cycle works but it's it's kind of everything you can imagine having to do with nature in this area and it's really minimal i think basically you pay it's not very much money you're mostly paying for like printouts and things like that um, it's citizen science and so it's the opportunity you commit to <clears throat> giving back so many volunteer hours a year. So um, presentations or tours or um, doing work days at different places. And you commit to taking 10 hours or something like that of advanced training. So you keep your knowledge up okay. open to anybody who cares. It's really cool program. Yeah. And then, and then did you do something called Pollinator Prairie out of that? Right. And that so this was a site in Old Olathe, downtown, near downtown Olathe in a little neighborhood that from the 1950s until the late 1980s, there was a company that had a property just about a square block or so um, right next to the railroad tracks that go right through Old Town Olathe. And it was called Chemical Commodities. And they were um, one of the sites, this was before the Environmental Protection Agency, so in the 1950s and 60s, it didn't start till 1970. They were a site that was approved to take chemical waste from manufacturing companies. And they did. And then they were supposed to do something with those chemicals and they didn't. They put them in big bins, uh, kind of down in the ground, which leaked out caught fire all the time they finally put up a privacy really tall privacy fence and in the late 80s the fire department had just kind of had it with them the epa hadn't known about them yet at that point um, anyway the epa got involved they shut them down they had zero liability because the owner 
somehow figured out how to have a fire of all the paperwork before the EPA come in. It came out. It was pretty interesting. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a movie. <laughs> it would make a great movie. So so this is about a three acre site and there were houses like right on, on the edge of the property. Mm. Um, so they came in, had to remove eight foot of soil on about an acre, just take it out because it was so toxic. Um, they they bought the little houses that were there on the property. They put in uh, air quality abatement equipment in about 40 homes. So so what happens in a rainfall, all the chemicals get washed down in the groundwater, right? And then that evaporates and comes up in people's homes. So, so they had uh, that going on. And what was interesting is there was a small avionics company that in their manufacturing process, they had some chemicals that they sent to this site. They followed all the protocol just like they were supposed to do. And from a chemical perspective, that company retained responsibility for seeing to it to the end of its life, Mm. that chemical. So even though they did the right thing, the company they sent it to didn't. Sometime during this 30 years, Boeing company bought that little avionics company. So when the EPA came in and they set this up as a Superfund site, Boeing took the lead, the helm, and said, we will help manage the restoration of this site. Mm. And they decided to put in this pollinator habitat. So they brought in fresh soil, worked with Chip Taylor, who is a professor emeritus at KU. He started Monarch Watch. He's the like world-renowned uh, expert in monarch mm. butterflies and milkweeds. He came in and helped design the property and uh, it was a, it's a master naturalist site. And so the first uh, official project of the master naturalist group, um, I was able to be the coordinating person to mm. get us involved in maintaining the site. And it's, it's open to the public 24 seven. We have um, a couple great events um, for kids and for the whole for the public really twice a year so okay. pollinatorprairie.org I think I'll get you there but okay, anyway cool yeah so it's so that's something that that, that kids can get involved uh, mm-hmm. in kids yeah. teachers um, mm. because it's a it, I'll tell you what the emotional impact of being there so there was right after the previous president's inauguration um, there was a bill um, put into the House of Representatives to eliminate the Environmental Protection Agency. Eliminate it. <laughs> and I'll tell you the grief that I felt as an activist, having seen what the EPA was able to do with this site that was so dead, right? That's where I went to grieve the possibility that the EPA could actually be removed, mm. defunded, mm. right? There's this healing, that whole piece of being in a site that was totally destroyed and now it's joyful and it's full of life and it's mm. beautiful. That's why the pollinator prairie and sites like it are really, really valuable. Mm. It's it's like a, it's a beautiful- Parable, metaphor, yeah, I don't exactly. know, you find the right word, but yeah. Of, uh, mm-hmm. And here's the thing, that's cool. you can never plant any trees on it because there are the 
the way that they put down, there's a particular fabric that they use that covers the toxic soil and that filters the water as it comes through. And you can't plant any trees because the roots would damage that fabric. So, and, and the EPA will monitor it in perpetuity or as long as they're around, I guess. But, but that's the whole, there's always this little bit of, oh, so there won't ever be any trees here. Do you know? It's like the sorrow is always a little bit there. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a natural habitat. It's going to have to be a man-managed, woman-managed habitat. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, I, I love I love the... Um, the, your involvement with you know mindfulness meditation and yoga, but um, I want to I want to chat a little bit, make sure because I I don't want to miss an opportunity to talk about this. So your book that you have for folks who are watching, uh, Sammy Aaron, experience your fifty four senses, a companion workbook for the nature process. Yeah, so that was so, so interesting. Unpack that, and I mm-hmm. I actually did. Uh, just just last Sunday did one of the exercises out of this um, in, a, in a meditation out in nature. So it was really fun. Which one did you do? Um, you Remember? did the, uh, the one about you tell the story about the dog or the pooch ah, mm-hmm. and then try to go into nature with that kind of attitude where you're soaking in mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that, yeah. That one. that's a little story about my my little dog, Cookie. and just visualizing what she was like out in nature right off leash right and it was like all four of her feet knew right where to step and her nose was leading her where she needed to go and her hair was kind of standing on end and her tail was up you know and it was just like she was just there she wasn't anywhere else she wasn't worried about her next meal she wasn't worried about the bills she wasn't worried about anything i said to her the day before right she was just absolutely through all of her senses just receiving that space in nature so that really started for me all that time i said i spent in nature in grief and finding my way through grief i met a woman through an online course she was teaching um tabitha jane in scotland and she wrote a book she hadn't written it yet she was really early on having lost her brother um and going through the same process like just if i go out to nature and i do these five things for my grief or whatever it is i'm focused on i feel so much better afterwards Mm and um she's a transpersonal psychologist and was able to kind of turn this into five simple steps and so when i took her course i just connected with her immediately and we really started to develop the nature process um she got her book she had an early release of the book out but we got another two releases of her book out just called the nature Nature process Process, yeah right and tabitha jane tabitha jane j-a-y-n-e and what i what we wanted was she had gone through some eco-psychology training right that connection of humans to the earth and there were some uh teachers in that i'll call it lineage um that were had identified all these different senses and so what was really interesting so if you take for example your sense of sight that's really just the receptacle 
It's kind of like saying you a radio has a sense of radio. Well, it doesn't. It has a sense of hearing and sound and emitting, right? So your sense of sight is really your sense of shape and form and color and design and pattern and movement. You have all these different senses coming out of what your eyes are able to pick up on. And each one of those senses informs your body and your mind and your heart mm-hmm. of when you're safe or you're not. Right? When you're hungry or not hungry, when you hear a sound that you better pay attention to, or you hear a sound that you can just receive and relax with. So there was this list of 54 different ones, and um, it was it was fun to create a way to help us, especially us urban and suburban humans who have lost most of our senses, right? Like your sense of touch, walking barefoot through the forest, mm-hmm. doesn't work when you're clopping on some, you know, cement with your, you know, your spiked heels. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different way of feeling the earth. Mm-hmm. So, um, we did that. We did some facilitator training. We were leading courses and workshops and retreats for people in the nature process. And then she really wanted to focus on um, business, you know, how to bring earth care and sustainability practices mm-hmm. into corporate arenas. I was headed for the resilient activists. And so it just kind of, I won't say it died because it's being resurrected now, you know, as part of what she's teaching or what I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. So it's not, there is no nature process like course or website, mm-hmm. but the books are out there and uh, it's something where we like to pull on. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, yeah, so like you take your vision, which is just one of the five senses, but then you you think about all the things that your vision connects with. Yep. And granulate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you take your five senses and start granulating each one of those, and you, you come up with these 54 different ways to experience nature and to be present yeah. in nature, and then how that does have a healing impact you know well, part of it is like is a mindfulness practice so for people who are really deep meditators especially those who go away on retreat so you really are not distracted by everyday life right you can get into the sense of just being with what is mm. it's great detail right and it's through all your senses i mean even apparently the buddha meditated with his eyes open Mm. just to be with what is and there's this sense of so this the sense of touch this table is hard but it's smooth and it's kind of slick and oh and there's a ridge and how does that feel and everything can become a mindfulness practice Mm. which is great for cognitive reasoning clarity of thought stepping away from multitasking so if you really want to make a decision about something important when you just are able to train your mind to focus on that one thing and notice everything about it you come up with different answers different solutions different ways of being in the world than you would if you just had your notebook and your checklist and here's what I was taught in school and here's how we're going to run this business or here's how I'm going to raise my kids or here's the house I'm going to live in. Mm -hmm. Here's the spiritual tradition I'm going to go through, right? Mm -hmm. It's like 
everything becomes this awareness of how does that make me feel? Mm. It's a really interesting yeah. practice. I, I've just noticed through my my life, like I probably what got me into uh, trouble in my my most recent phase was uh, this overactive brain of mine, and I had insomnia. So I noticed your your yoga sleep and all these things that, mm -hmm. and I've been pressing into some of these things now because of all I've gone through. And but one of the things that has always been with me is this, like what I would call, you know, I I, I feel like I almost need to get into nature every some every day yep. like i miss it if i don't yep so movement through nature and it can be on my bike or a mountain bike or walking and it can just be see, sitting and soaking in like mm -hmm. I, I remember reading some of john muir's um you know journals mm -hmm. you know and he he was he would go out and like look at one flower for hours on end and just soak in that one flower yeah what's his quote i said something about i thought i was going out and found i was going in going in mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was in your book i did, yeah. saw that but yeah yeah and so i i i remember you know there's been you know like i've gone on you know backpacking trips by myself and mm -hmm. spent you know days in nature alone and you know there is something about it like and like even in my cycling like i get a lot of endorphins from that i'll cycle for sometimes i cycle with friends and that's community but sometimes i'm just cycling for an hour two or three alone mm -hmm. and it it really does something for me and i try to and that's why i like to do gravel or mountain biking things so i'm not like on a street interacting with cars you know kind of i like to be, feel like i'm moving through nature so if you but, picture that with the story of the dog yeah. Here you are. You have all your senses wide right. open because they have to be, right? You have to know if there's a car coming up behind you. You have to know about the sunlight or or water or puddles. You have to know about, you know, are there curbs you're going to go over or something, a little rock? Is there, um, you know, is there, is there, you know, a bison coming at you through the Flint Hills, right? And so you have to have all your senses completely open and receptive right mm -hmm. in that in every moment as you're bicycling and when you're in that mode as opposed to i'm going to bicycle from here to there because i have one hour right and that's all i'm going to do and you know anna you've got your watch and you know you're you're in your brain at that point you're in your logical mind but when you're not when you're really immersed in where you are it's a really different practice it and is. it's and like i don't own a trainer because I, I won't sit in this house and ride for even 15 minutes on a trainer because it's it, not the it, same. It feels almost like lifeless. It, it is. Lifeless. <clears throat> it is. But when I go yeah. out and mm -hmm. ride or walk through nature, I, mm -hmm. I feel you a whole different it. energy going on. Yeah. You're also receiving things called phytoncides, which are like antibiotic properties through aromatherapy fragrances mm. like you know historically why did people bring uh, greenery into their house evergreens around in the winter time because they exude uh, antibiotic properties mm. right there's all these other things the aroma of the soil right of whatever's blossoming at that time the rotting fruit like you're receiving all that mm. 
even while you're going through it, you're getting that vitamin D. Like how many of us take vitamin D tablets, mm-hmm. right? Because we're not getting, we're not absorbing enough because we're not outside mm-hmm. enough. So, yeah. So what are, uh, so I, God, I could talk to you for hours. Okay, oh. <laughs> We're going to run out of time. Um, but uh, what about, so, so in, what do we, how do we, what's the best resources to learn from nature to, to draw teaching from nature how like this whole nature teaching idea i think the best is first of all figure out what you are really drawn to in nature and for some people that could be a house plant which is fine right it could be something in your backyard it could be a vista it could be some place that just draws you in like a like at the pollinator prairie there's this one big old tree that has kind of an opening in the trunk Mm -hmm. and you can kind of sit back in there and nobody would see you it doesn't matter it should be someplace close by your home right or that you can see outside a window from your house or that you're able to bring in or you have pictures of it right that you don't save this for your two-week vacation out at the beach that's not gonna do it. There's a lot of Native American teachings about how we need to connect to our land, our land, this land right here that we live in. We need to observe it, the weather, the drought or the moisture, what's growing there, what critters are there. We need to be just like you on your bike in the land. And it can start with one plant or one tree and you just simply notice it like a great way to really step into this is imagine that that tree or plant or rock or water or ground, whatever it is, could talk back to you, Mm -hmm. that you could have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And there's conversations like just telling it how beautiful it is or how, oh my gosh, what is that? wow that's an interesting thing or look how that leaf is really different than that leaf and you do this you get into the detail you get out of your head Mm -hmm. and you just witness it you notice it you touch it you you breathe it in whatever your five senses Mm -hmm. can do and you do that regularly Mm. so you you learn your land your plants your critters Mm -hmm. in every season you're you you imagine this tree standing there we have a 60 year old red bud in our yard and i imagine how many times it stood there and the sun has come up from the east and it's flowed off to the west how many times then has that tree witnessed that and how would that feel if i was that tree witnessing not moving just receiving the movement of the sun right and so you get anything that you can do that really calls to you mm-hmm. that you love to do go do it in great detail yeah do it often do it regularly do it in every season every time of the day mm. that's the best journal about I it love, yes. paint it write songs about it right yes. talk about it that's that's awesome yeah. i started rock climbing when i was 16 down in the uh here in kansas city about the only spot you can actually do that in is is right there off uh, like it's in the northeast cliff section drive of cliff or drive something. yeah mm-hmm. and i started it's little, little 30 foot uh limestone mm-hmm. uh cl- you know and, and we started climbing there 
16 and you know now i've climbed all over the united states and europe and and i still climb a little bit even though i i blew myself out but like you know when i'm on that rock like and i don't hardly you know i have i have a friend that started rokc rock climbing gyms mm -hmm. around here but mm -hmm. i don't really do hardly any indoor climbing because it's the same it's, thing same thing mm -hmm. yeah i want to like i like to be on the sandstone or limestone or granite or you know and You've, and you're in the moment that's mm -hmm. the whole thing if yeah. it's a really different experience when you're in a rock climbing gym it's all about your body and your strength and your intellect and what you can accomplish there's competition there's whatever when you are out in nature you're just simply connecting mm -hmm. it's a really different part of your spirits part of your mm -hmm. experience as a as a human animal yeah yeah well gosh oh i love that stuff um yeah man i can drink all of this in so long it's beautiful so give give people we, we've got to wrap this up but give people maybe a couple of practical ways for them to begin to uh, uh connect with like I, I think you even mentioned one time a simple way to start a garden or, sure. or some people might be interested in that or yeah a simple way to you, you've already said find out what you love like mm -hmm. I, I like i literally know some people who sit inside with phones and screens mm -hmm. and they don't really want to get out in right. nature and like my my whole th I kind of like holy crud there's a whole generation that's not going to know how to that's get out in nature yeah. you know and i'm yeah that make like i'm i know what it's given me all mm. these years and i yeah. i kind of grieve that a little bit and i, I try yeah. to be an advocate to help people get back into nature so i know you are i appreciate that we have a blog post on our website cannot remember the name of it but it's a young woman who had her own business she came and took a business for good course through us we we're talking about ways to bring nature into the home she's an interior designer had her own company and so she decided to stop at the grocery store and buy a 12 dollars house plant like that was what she was going to do she had three preschool age kids um her husband was i forget exactly the whole deal but she was just a real sweet family right she buys this one house plant and her kids start playing in the dirt you know and making a mess and stuff her daughter comes down every morning and wants to water the house plant so finally with the dirt she gave them some plates and stuff and said go outside and dig in the dirt if that's what you want to do and so a couple days later it rained and the kids brought her a bowl full of worms some mm. people would find that disturbing, but she mm -hmm. thought it was pretty cool. And <laughs> so she had heard at our at our program of something about composting with worms. What does that mean? Worm composting. So she looks it up. She starts a compost bin out in her backyard. It was just a plastic tub with her kids. The kids are taking their produce, their leftover food from dinner or when they're cooking a meal and they've got scraps out to this to feed the worms now. And they're going to get the neighbors. So now the neighborhood kids are coming, bringing their vegetables yeah. over to their house to put in the compost bin. And of course the parents are coming with them. So now the whole neighborhood are coming outdoors together 
with their kids to talk about these things that none of them was doing mm. and she has become a great volunteer with us i mean i just oh cool yeah it it was this one little thing that a stressed out mom decided to do mm. stressed out working mom decided to do that turn into a whole different way of being with her family so that's what i'm saying pick one thing yeah, yeah. That like just that. feels right and just bring it in and just go with it. That's cool. So, so your your website is? TheResilientActivist.org. Okay. And um, yeah, we have courses. We have monthly climate cafes for anyone who's worried about climate anxiety and wants to just come talk about it. We have a Justice, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion book club that meets once a month. Um, we are doing some political activism with resilience uh training workshops we have a full speakers bureau on a lot of different topics and okay. so I'd love to connect with people okay and then this is this is your book that is is got packed full of ideas on how to use your senses to get connected to nature cool. and it and you've brought out some of the science of that and how mm -hmm. how that um you know it, it, it can help like it's good for what ails you exactly there you <laughs> it's go. good for creativity and reasoning you know when you're out in nature and you see things that are soft and rounded and working in community together you have a real different perspective than when you look at square lines and cement and hard floors and you know we, we just it, it informs us differently so thank you thank you for your work for your heart for your passion and the way you are uh helping people heal and connect and be creative and grow in, in relation to nature. I thanks. love that. Thanks for so, what you do. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so, I'm so grateful. I uh, hope to stay connected and uh, everybody, I want to encourage you pick up uh, Sammy's book as go to the website and actually, so the books on Amazon. Okay. Is, yeah. We don't have a link on the website because it, okay. it really was just, available again about two months ago oh, okay so um but it's yeah it's accessible on amazon so all right okay all right well thanks everybody for tuning in to spirituality adventures we're so glad that you joined us with sammy aaron and we will see you next time thanks fred this concludes today's episode thanks for tuning in and listening remember if you're watching on youtube subscribe to my youtube channel Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation. Or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.